Nebraska Hawksmith. These guys are brave! They're Hawkeyes, living in enemy territory. Listen, these guys are way past their point, but they're still Hawkeyes! They're spreading the Hawkeye hype to all of Nebraska! The Frost Advisory is cancelled! Corn Huskers? More like Corn Suckers. Are you ready for this podcast? Let's go Hawks! All right, welcome to the Nebraska Hawks Nest, your nice little Hawkeye oasis in the middle of a little bit of a Nebraska desert out here, spreading the Hawkeye gospel amongst all the Huskers. So if you take a second, give us a like, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, your neighbors, maybe hire a town crier and send them down to the town square, whatever it takes to get the Hawkeye gospel spread. We're here for you. So as you can see, we're going a little bit solo today. Adam's feeling a little under the weather. Um, so wasn't able to make the interview. Now, Maddie, uh, anybody that's watched our podcast, Maddie, the Miller Lite Delight Ice came for a visit last night. So whether these are natural factors or unnatural factors, why Adam doesn't feel so well today, we're not sure. But you've got me here and we've got the pleasure of a guest that I am completely thrilled to interview today, Sir Jamalot, Gary Wright. Gary, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing pretty good. Um, beautiful day out here in Southern California. Oh, that's awesome. It's not quite as warm here in Nebraska, so we're a little bit jealous of you there, but uh, we won't talk about it too much. We uh, we got a lot to talk about here. As as it goes with guests we've had, um, I'm not sure. We've got a guy here with a pretty com colorful, complete history of a lot of different things. So uh, to start off with, Gary, tell us what you're up to now out there in California. I am in my uh, 21st year um, in the San Bernardino School District. I am a supervisor in the district. Uh -huh. As well as in my this 18th year of coaching. Wow. As a head coach, anyway. Right. And that's a head coach at the community college level, or is that, the, is that a school that's level? That's correct. Okay, uh, community. community college level. So I read a stat on you that says that you, at one point, at when you were at your 15 years, you had a 100% graduation rate and a 95% matriculation rate moving players to four-year uh, four universities. Is that stat still intact? That stat is nearly still intact. I've had one player um, in that three-year span that didn't graduate and also one player that didn't move to the next level. Well, so, that, that's I'm, an incredible rate. Books. <laughs> <laughs> that is an incredible raid and that's an incredible influence on a lot of young people that you've had so it's a tremendous a lot of kudos to you for that um as we get into talk about this i'm excited there may be a lot of rabbit holes for somebody like me that has a lot of uh that has a tendency to remember a lot of things from watching the hawks growing up you bridged some pretty important careers and what i would term the uh a golden age of basketball at least for me in that in the early and mid 1980s so um 
starting off with coming out of San Bernardino um, as a kid and your recruitment, Gary, you didn't go to Iowa first. Tell us about, you know, how growing up, what spurred your interest in basketball? What kind of a kid? What kind of interest did you have? How did you end up then, you know, going to USC to start and uh, kind of take us into that up to that, you know, freshman year? I um, I was a football player. Um, really? Sorry, with and thought I was going to be a, a, a great football player, but I was one of those kids, probably typical of most kids. I, you know, I had the heart, didn't have the body. <laughs> so I love football. It didn't love me back and I ended up uh, breaking my neck um, when I was 14. No and kidding. That's how I came to basketball. Uh, when I recovered from that, they told me I could never play uh, football again. And so at that point, I took up basketball in my, um, in my ninth grade year. And okay. so it, it, it didn't go so good at first. I didn't <laughs> know any of the rules. I didn't understand the sport really. Uh, it took me a while to, you know, even get the coordination for it. But yeah. I had a good coach and he had, he had the foresight to put me in a gymnastics class. No so kidding. my first couple of years of high school, I was uh, learning to play basketball and taking gymnastics for my coordination. And uh, it all came together by my junior year. And junior year, I, I took off uh, runner-up play of the year in California. And the next year, I was play of the year in California. And I, I made the mistake of uh, I didn't understand basketball recruitment whatsoever. I was a football guy. Uh -huh. So, of course, my dream, being a football guy from California, was Southern going to USC. Mm -hmm. So that's how I ended up at USC, you know. And uh -huh. it, it – it dawned on me halfway through <laughs> that, you know, it probably wasn't a great idea to, for a basketball guy to go to a football school. There was no one at the games. Mm -hmm. um, the team wasn't very good. And I, I, I did well. Um, I was runner-up freshman of the year in the conference. And so after that, I, I you know, knew I needed, needed to get to a basketball school. Sure. Very nice. Now, um, were you like me? I kind of had a similar experience with football when I was young. Uh, did you grow faster than everybody else? So that kind of left you wide open. I think I led my uh, little league in the amount of times I got the wind knocked out of me because I was so much taller than everybody else. Was, is that is that similar to you as well? That, that was me. You guys <laughs> my knees and ankles. <laughs> well, and that's how I ended up playing basketball as well. So we've got a little bit in common on that one. But, um, you know, when you mentioned USC is not a uh, basketball school, though, but the USC your freshman year had a pretty darn good women's team, if uh, if, if the uh, yes. years tell me correctly. And they had a yeah. oh, they had a couple great. of players <laughs> named uh, Cynthia Cooper and Cheryl Miller, I believe. Did you, uh, did you ever have any interaction with them while you were there? Or? Yeah, I, I knew Cheryl from high school. Um, she was from 15 minutes away, she and Reggie. So uh -huh. I knew Reggie and Cheryl even before we went to uh, USC. Um, but the girls were great. Also on that team were uh, Paula and Pam McGee. Yes. Um, um, I wanted, Pam is the mother of JaVale McGee in the NBA. No um, kidding. But, yeah, she was better than her son. <laughs> 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 she, she, she was really good. Well, names like that on that team, I think they were probably better than some of the men's team down throughout history. They probably, you know, yeah. they could have, they kind they, of could have gave anybody the, a contest. They won the, the national championship, I want to say, about two or three times. Yeah, and, I, well, I think, uh, I believe stretch. they, I believe the year you were there, they they won the national title, exactly. Right. Um, so your familiarity with the Millers uh, then, were, did, were you ever privy? They used to go down and they 
try to uh, they'd go win lunch money on the playground courts taking on other teams were you ever privy to any of that when they were growing up <laughs> no <laughs> I, I was too much of a nerd for that <laughs> i'd be too nervous i, I gave it away <laughs> you'd just be laughing while they uh, while they let everybody on that they weren't that good <laughs> well that's awesome i didn't realize you had that personal connection um so uh, was uh, were you ever around Reggie then? Did he uh, did he talk as much when he was younger as he did as he when he got to the pros? Yeah, Reggie, or... Reggie's always been a talker. As he? <laughs> He's always been a talker. Oh, that's Never awesome. Short of confidence. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So kind of tailing on the end of your USC that first season, then um, you guys made a trip to uh, the field house in Iowa City, the old field house before Carver Hawkeye. And uh, you you got involved in a little bit of a, a scrap there a little bit. And uh, only, I, only game I've ever been kicked out of. <laughs> the last game played in the old Phil house. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got something here. It's just a short little clip. We'll play for the t- for the people at home that are watching this. Um, it, again, it's nothing embarrassing, but just kind of lend a little color as far as as far as what had um, what what transpired here. So one second. Well, this ought to be good. I've never seen this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've got a crack research team here. So, uh, anyway, so here we go. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was the slow motion replay after it happened. But uh, anyway, so, yeah, you I got in that and, uh, yeah, technical. And then also there was another, an Iowa player rejected, if I recall. Uh, go, go ahead and tell us a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, it's funny because Steve and I are cool. Yeah. <laughs> so he just had, I, I don't know if it was Steve that got me. Someone got me earlier. And I, you know, I'm a football guy. I'm going to get you back. <laughs> and I don't remember who it was, but he, he took the blow. Mm-hmm. And of all the people that hit, that was the wrong guy. You know, he was like a demigod, you know, <laughs> at the time. Uh, but uh, he, he, that's my guy. He's a Southern California guy. Yep. I was going to say uh, Bellflower, Steve if Garfield. I recall. Yeah, was a bellflower? bellflower, about an hour, about an hour away, and his brother went to USC. So I, I had met his brother Don, and um, when you know when I eventually went to Iowa, Steve was the one. He was he was happiest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was the one with welcoming arms, even though he even though he got the shot in the game. Huh? <laughs> he, he the I, I think he liked the toughness, though. He, oh. he respected the toughness. He's like, we need some of that. You know, I remember what I remember him playing was when he'd shoot a three pointer, it would disappear. It had such a high arc, it would disappear out of the screen view watching at home, and then it would drop down in the hoop from nowhere. And I mean, it was, you just kind of wondered where the heck it went. I, you kind of had this idea of loop maybe through the rafters when he shot it. He just put so much arc on it on those shots. So, oh, uh, that's great. He went on to have a, a pretty good career in Australia, if I recall correctly, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. A um, good playing career, and then ended up um, doing a, being a color analyst down there. Mm-hmm. In uh, fact, yeah. uh, I, I reached out to him for a couple of kids. I've recruited some kids from, from Australia. Yeah. And well, so we've, we've had contact afterwards like that. Well, sure. We've I've, we've tried to reach out to him a couple of times on email, but uh, we'll, we'll, we're hoping to be successful, maybe get him on here again and catch up with him. He's another favorite from back in the day. Um, we interviewed Bob Hogue early, uh, the old Iowa play-by-play analyst from back in the, back in your time. And he was talking about the kind of the uh, having the first uh, basketball network as per se, and uh, kind of how you guys were treated like rock stars at different times because you had the following of the entire state when he was broadcasting and Carfina was one he mentioned. So, oh, that's awesome. But anyway, so go ahead then. We go from there. And um, why I choose Iowa, Gary? 
Uh, you, you know, as you said, you wanted to go to a basketball school, but what brought you to Iowa? Mainly the uh, the Twin Towers, Stokes and Payne. Uh-huh. And uh, I knew that, you know, those two players on the team meant that I would not attract nearly as much attention as I'm trying to get my footing um, as a sophomore. And also uh, George Raveling mm-hmm. had recruited me out of high school. He recruited myself and two of my teammates actually went to Washington State and told me, you know, he's a good guy, he's a good coach. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up coming sure. over. He recruited me again. Sure, sure. And uh, had you had much interaction from him back when you played at uh, USC in the Pac-10 then? or was and... Yeah, I mean, he, he heavily, he was at my house quite a lot recruiting me um, out of high school. I mean, he, he was in San Bernardino all the time. He was recruiting the three of us. Yeah, uh, we had um, four or five division high division one players on my high school team. No kidding, no uh, kidding. A pretty good team. It sounds like it. Did you, how'd you guys do? And uh, were, were you state titleists or uh, did you do well in the uh, state we, competitions? We lost. Um, we lost a, a game before. We lost in the semifinals. It was the only game we lost all year. Yeah. Um, and then the year before, we lost two games, and and at the same point, so I, you know, I ended up I only lost those three games in high school. Uh, so we, so we were pretty good. I apologize. I've got a cat that probably thinks I need a co-host here and was wanting to get in the screen. So uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that is that sounds pretty good. So Stokes and Payne, that would be uh, Michael Payne and Greg Stokes, and uh, we're going to get into that a little bit here too, because again, when we talked about, it, you got to play with some pretty good. Uh, players in Iowa history there. Yeah. So, um, you know, you come in and you get to play along at Greg Stokes. And I mean, you know, he ends up now that he is, uh, you know, he's a second or third leading scorer in, in school history now, but at the time when you were there, he would have been the first. And, and uh, what was he like behind the scenes? What, you know, work ethic practices. I mean, what, what, what kind of guy was he and what was it that led to his success? Greg was, Greg was a tough guy. Uh, you know, he was the enforcer. No question about it. I remember once um, and I took care of Greg. I, I you know, always set him up with passes, feeding him the ball. And I remember we were playing Illinois, and they had a big guy named George Montgomery, or, uh, I think his name was. And he hit me with an elbow that just, you know, like split my chest open, right? Uh-huh. And uh, I'm laying on the floor trying to catch my breath, and all Greg said was, who got you, G? Who got you? <laughs> and I, I pointed at the biggest guy on the floor, like <laughs> that guy right there. So, okay, about three, three, four trips down the floor. And before I knew it, he had, he had clocked him with an elbow and Big George was doubled over. <laughs> so that, that's the kind of guy Greg was. You know, he always he, had your he, back. He had huh? Yeah, he had everybody's back. Yeah. And he could play. No, he that was no him. doubt. I remember he had that little that hook shot in the lane that he could go up with. Hook. Yes. Yep. Yep. He was, a, he was a master of that. And um, then Michael Payne out of Quincy, Illinois. Um, 6'11", maybe, you know, probably maybe more finesse, but I mean, what do you remember about Michael Payne then as well? Oh, just smooth. Yeah, he was, he was ahead of his time. He was, he was a player that would, would have thrived in the game today, the way it's played. Sure. You know, where, uh, back then a guy that big playing a, a finesse style of game, you know, they, they want to put a skirt on him, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but in today's game. You know, with, with no contact, no touching, you know, you can't hit guys like before. Uh, he, he'd, have, he'd have eaten this game up. 
Yeah, no. And and he did. He was he was and that was kind of so nimble and quick. And I mean, it was the kind of athletic ability you really didn't see come around until maybe like a David Robinson or somebody came on the scene right, as right. far as as far as his ability went. Even like a I can positively compare him to a Durant. You know, not nearly to that level, but in that direction for sure. Because he can handle the ball, he can shoot the jump shot, he can pass, you know, sit down and defend. Mm-hmm. And then you know, he'd stretch out. He's six eleven. Sure, sure. Do you guys still keep up with those guys then, or occasionally, uh, occasionally? Sad, uh, unfortunately, mostly on sad occasions now. You know, if someone's ill or you know, uh, mm-hmm. we, we lost Michael Reeves a few years ago. Uh, oh, really? About a year and a half ago, I guess it is. And so that sort of brought us all together again, un- uh, un- uh, under unfortunate circumstances, right? Yeah. Same with Roy when Roy passed away. Yeah, brought us together again. Yeah, exactly. And it's you know, unfortunately, it's part of life. But you you hate for those to be the circumstances that you get back together with everybody. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, going through then, then what was your uh, you know your first uh, maybe even like your first winter in Iowa City? But what was that first year in Iowa City like for a California guy like yourself? (laughs) You know, what were what were the first impressions? What were the places the hangouts that you learned to uh to go to and uh what was your first winter like i remember that first winter um once it got to about october every every day for about six weeks was the new coldest day of my life <laughs> <laughs> and i knew right away i i wrote home and i said hey you know you got to send me um some kind of winter jacket here <laughs> you know this 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 little thin fly had my I had my dad's flight jacket you know that was the warmest thing i had uh-huh. and it uh, the, the breeze walking across that iowa river was just tearing that thing up <laughs> <laughs> so that, that first winter was tough but um you know we played indoors and i knew that's what i was there for and you know sure you, you, you tough it up and get through it so there was no regrets then when the first this first snowfall you ran into. There was no, no. regrets saying, "What did I get myself into?" <laughs> no, 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 no. I, had I, had I you ever committed? Had you ever seen snow before that, Gary? I did once on a. I went on a Christian retreat and we, they took us up in the mountains. You know, and, you know, they let us run outside and lose our minds when the snow started falling. <laughs> <laughs> I think I must have been about 12 or 14 or 13 or so. Yeah. It's one of those things you never thought you'd be living in, though, was it? No. <laughs> it didn't go, to, didn't go to Notre Dame because of that. <laughs> really? It you had the chance down, to go to Notre Dame, huh? I, that was my school. That, um, the two schools I had narrowed it down to coming out of high school, USC and Notre Dame. And, um, boy, without a mistake, I could have been playing for Digger Phelps. And, you know, but it was a football school. And, you know, Notre Dame and USC, mm-hmm. the big rivalry. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was huge back in the day, you know, with uh, you know, Joe Montana back at uh, at Notre Dame. And, yeah, USC and uh, what Marcus Allen and uh, I think it was maybe Charles White before that. Yeah, I mean, that was a great yeah, football yeah. rivalry back in the day. So, so. You know, you move on then in your second year again, Coach Raveling. Coach Raveling, I used to love the – he kind of shook up the uh, the uh, following with his Nike sweatsuits on the sideline. You know, everything up to that point had been the uh, had been the, uh, the tough shirt and tie and coat type uh, demeanor. And right, uh, right. Coach Raveling came in with the uh, Nike sweatsuits. And, I, you know, I don't know if the fans knew what to think of it, but what kind of personality was he behind the scenes? He was, uh, he was a character. 
he was very, you know, bigger than life character. You know, uh, you definitely knew when he entered the room, uh, <laughs> either for the Nike suit or for his big bolsterous personality. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, he used to have those great, it was always fun watching the games with him in Indiana. Cause it was just, I don't know, he and Knight just kind of had that, you could just tell it was just a great coaching battle between the two of them when they played each other. But so anyway, your sophomore year then, or excuse me, your second year at Iowa, then I believe was his final season and he ends up transferring What did you guys, were you privy to any of that? Or did you suspicion anything behind the scenes before he left? No, it, it actually happened. Um, so I redshirted and he was there and then I played for him as a sophomore and as a junior and then he left. Um, I was not, I, I know that there was pressure on him because of, um, with the squad that he had assembled, we should have been winning more. Mm -hmm. Even, uh, my sophomore year with, um, with, with Greg, I was, I was all big 10 as a sophomore, mm -hmm. um, with Greg and Michael, uh, and we had good guards. I mean, Todd Berkenpass, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if you remember Todd, he, he oh, was, yeah outstanding player if he had played for tom davis um i think he would have had a shot to continue to play mm -hmm. he, he was that good tom was that good um one of the and, one of the all-time leading scorers out of uh, mapleton iowa yeah he, he was something else um and then not only todd also um there was um bj armstrong mm -hmm. my freshman year also uh, Michael Reeves. I mean, we, we had guards enough to, with that front line, mm -hmm. we should have been winning more. And we got bounced after, you know, in the first round. And in the second year, the same thing. We got bounced in the first round. And the one thing that, that having that amount of talent will do is it, it will expose your coaching chops. Mm -hmm. Especially when you start facing those teams that have an equal amount of talent. Mm-hmm. And like talent, you know, the talent can carry you and make you, it can make a, a coach who may not be as adept as a coach look great until he comes up against someone who could put together, you know, a plan, a strategy and so forth and so on. And so I think that pressure was, was mounting that people were saying, Hey, you know, you can recruit, can you coach? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that, that's, that's always been the knock on on raveling yeah great recruiter great guy great at you know putting together these teams but can you put together the x's and the o's mm -hmm. and um you know tom came in and, and tom had just the opposite reputation great coach great great with strategy can't recruit and when those two forces came together then that's of course you know that great run is uh, my senior year Sure. What were your first impressions of Dr. Tom when he came in the doors over there, Gary? I mean, what, what you know, kind of describe what happened and, and what, what were your first thoughts? Um, I, I didn't really know what to think, you know, um, but I, but I remembered him uh -huh. because when I was a freshman at USC, he was, it was his first year at Stanford and he went in there um, and turned that program around and gave USC the worst loss they had ever had up until that point in the Pac-10. Really? In the history of the school. So, I mean, dumped us by like 25 or something. I mean, it was, it was ugly. 
<laughs> and and they were pressing and and uh, he had a uh, a kid that was a walk on that was starting in his starting lineup um who was a freshman a freshman walk on starting for him and I was like you know I like that I thought that was pretty ballsy sure um, and so I knew I knew of him but I didn't know him um but we hit it off from day one you know he <laughs> he pulled me in his office when he got the job, uh, he, he met with everybody that was returning. He's going down. He's like, oh, okay, you set the school record for single season field goal percentage. He says, ah, oh, you can do that again. That'd be fine. <laughs> he says, shot it good. Yeah, you can do that. That'd be fine. Okay. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I said to him, I said, you know, the office looks really different, you know, uh-huh. uh, without George. George had the office lined with just walls and walls of bugs from top to bottom. And, you know, Tom, there was nothing on the wall, uh, mm-hmm. a little stereo system for his music. And he had a, a basketball chalkboard uh, that he had put up and uh, like a whiteboard. And, and that was it. And I was like, wow, it looks really different. He said, eh, I don't make any pretenses. I'm a <laughs> basketball coach. That's all I do. <laughs> I, I said, I like that. I like that. <laughs> well, that pretty much told about his style as well. So they, uh, no, that's great. That is great. And so when you talk about the, you know, the pressing and everything and he comes in, you know, you guys came in and then you talk about the talent that was on that team when he came in as well. And you guys handed uh, Indiana and they were eventual national champion that year, but you handed Indiana there. It was the first time a night team had given up more than a hundred. It was like one Oh one to 68, I believe, or 88. And uh, I mean, how was it that, that did it, did it just click during the, uh, during the transition from George to Tom or, or was there anything behind the it, scenes, but it just seemed like it clicked. It clicked because Tom, Tom could coach. I mean, he was a great coach. I mean, he, he's, one of the best coaches I've played for in my career, and I, I played for some good ones. Uh-huh. Um, but he just knew what he was doing. He had a, a clear vision of how it should look. And, and and he was, you know, Tom himself, he was a baller when he was, a, you know, a young guy. Uh-huh. You know, I think he was at Wisconsin Green Bay, uh, I want to say, um, one of those schools. But he, he, he could play. He jumped in practice a couple times like – you know, he just snatched the ball from BJ. Beach, good, good like this. And we were shocked, like, oh, you know, this guy can play. You know, yeah. The ball, throws it around the back pass, hits the guy right on the money. Said, okay. I, I got it. I remember that. I got everybody's attention. We we didn't know. We didn't know he could play. George, George couldn't play. You know, mm-hmm. George could rebound, but he couldn't play. You know? Sure. Sure. <laughs> We, uh, you know, when I think about that, and you mentioned that Indiana game, I remember Dr. Tom having that he that full court press that he you guys played against everybody. But I'll never forget Bobby Knight, and I don't know if it was ever Brett made true or not, but I can remember Kent Hill especially guarding that inbounds pass on that full court. And it was like you know, always when you played Indiana, there always seemed to be a time where the ball would get thrown right off a guy, right off the the, the defender's face or the or head right right and, right and it was always suspicion well, maybe that Knight had, was doing it on purpose no, it, 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 well he told it he told um steve alfred to hit brad brad was um in my year it was brad lowhouse he's sure. all over that inbounder and he winds up and drills him in the chest but <laughs> found out later bobby had told him to hit him in the face really <laughs> <laughs> 
like that to back him up, you know. Yeah. Um, Alfred hits him in the chest, and you know, Brad shakes it off, and there we are. Uh, <laughs> I remember that game. That was the first game against Bobby Knight uh, when he was coaching against Tom. That I saw Bobby out coached. Sure. I've never seen Coach Knight out coached like that. It was a a very close game, right up until I want to say about two or three minutes left. Uh-huh. It was a, a three-point game, two-point game, something like that. But we ended up winning by about 12. And I, there was a timeout um, where we scored. Bobby calls a timeout. In the huddle, um, Coach Davis says, hey, keep fast breaking. If made or miss, fast break, get a bucket in transition. And, and don't call a timeout. Don't burn any of my timeouts. Just keep playing. He said, I trust what we're doing on offense, that we will be more organized than whatever they're going to put together on defense, made or miss. So if we miss, don't don't hold it and walk it up the floor and play against their half-court D, run our transition. And so every time they would score, you know, or we would score, they would call a timeout, let our defense get set. Every time they would shoot, made or miss, we'd fast break the other way, and we scored on every one of those possessions. And that's what kind of, you know, made it look like we beat them worse than we did. Sure. Great. I was like, that that stuck with me. And I I use that in my own coaching career. Yeah. What were your impressions on playing against Bobby Knight? Did you ever have any interactions with him or uh, was it, was it all from (laughs) a distance or? No, no, actually. um, My my first impression was as a sophomore uh, ball goes out. I'm the inbounder. And he picks it up, and so I go like stand beside him, and the, he's just waiting for the ref to come over. And the, the ref comes over, and he gives him uh, an earful like I've never heard in my life. You know, I mean, uh-huh. it, it would have made a sailor blush. And the ref is just calm as can be. Come on, Bob. Come on, give me the ball, Bob. And he's holding it like he's <laughs> like a little kid. You know, like no. Yeah. And I, I didn't come to Iowa City to get effed over by you and blah, 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 blah. And I start trembling because I'd never, you know, mm-hmm. seen someone so angry. And um, so that was my first impression. And then after the last game um, that I played against him, we're, we're leaving the floor. We just beat him. Mm-hmm. So it's a, uh, a tough loss. The last home game. And he comes over. He, he As we're walking um, toward the tunnel, he, he, he jogs up and he puts his arm on my shoulder in the tunnel and says, hey, I've really, in, you know, enjoyed mm-hmm. competing against you these years. And he said, you are, you are the one kid on this team. I, you definitely could have played for me. It would have been an honor to have you play for me. Sure. And I thought that was, you know, and I think he knew I was you know, a military kid. Uh-huh. And I think that resonated with him as well. Sure. Um, from his time coaching at uh, West Point, I believe, if I remember correctly, right? right. right. Yeah, right. That, then when he had a young Mike Shashevsky, I believe, uh, yeah, playing or coaching right. with him, something like playing, that. Playing so, and coaching. Yeah. All right. So you know, when we talk about you know Gary Wright and his athletic ability, we got another one here. I'm going to share another uh, video clip here, if you don't mind, uh, just no, to give no, some no. of the fa- give the fans an idea of what um, just what what we enjoyed as Iowa fans back then. All right. Well, I got to apologize. The sound quality maybe wasn't the greatest on some of those. And uh, but anyway, 
They, you were you were back uh, before Dominique back in the eighties. You were Iowa's version of the uh, human highlight film with a lot of the uh, <laughs> the dunks and the aerials you performed. I mean, were you always? Did you always have that natural of uh, ability for uh, for for uh, hang time? I couldn't shoot. <laughs> so every, everything had to be point blank range. And, uh, you know, that, that led me getting to the basket quite a lot. Sure, sure. Um, you know, for and again, we touched on it at the beginning, but when did you come up with the moniker of Sir Jamalot? Who? How did that start? Uh, that was a high school teammate. Really, H- high school teammate uh, pinned that one on me. <laughs> it was really for uh, DJing. Uh huh. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, we we we. We were horrible at it, but you know, like <laughs> most kids, we love most seniors. We love music, and you know, thought we were good at it. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm sure you sounded good to you guys, but yeah, to everybody else in the room, <laughs> yeah, maybe not so right. much. <laughs> not so much. So, uh, take us into that '86, '87 season, then, Gary. And again, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more. But you mentioned, you know, the the, the talent, the B.J. Armstrong, Roy Marble, Ed Horton. Brad Lowhouse, Les Jefferson. I mean, all these future NBA players on that roster. And I mean, did you guys realize what was going to happen that season? Did you have any kind I, of an I idea? I don't think we did. Um, I, I, I really don't believe that we did. Um, you know, because we had, you know, we had that, the talent was already there. Um, it, a lot of it was just buried on the bench. Mm-hmm. You know, Lowhouse was already there. Kevin Gamble was there. Ed Horton was there. Uh, you know, my junior year. And, and again, we get bounced in the first round. And so, you know, we did not know we were as good as we had the potential mm-hmm. to be um, because we hadn't lived up to that potential up until that point. So mm-hmm. we just thought we were just another one of those teams. We were good, but we, you know, in the, in the top 20, certainly, but that's par for the course in the big 10 during that time. Sure. And I think my, my, I want to say my junior year, seven seven out of the ten teams make it to the NCAA playoffs mm-hmm. to the dance. Sure. So we were just another of those teams in the mix. We hadn't done anything up until that point. Sure. Um, so we had the potential, but it was um, and we knew we would be good, but it wasn't until we went on that historic roll, mm-hmm. uh, which unfortunately I was watching from the sideline. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, I, the, I had broken my uh, with a broken hand. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's right. I'd forgotten about that because you went out and played with the uh, cast on your hand a few games, didn't you? Yeah, that was before they were really willing to give those medical red shirts. Uh-huh. Uh huh. If you know, in today's game, I I, I probably would have been red shirted uh, for missing half the season. But at that point, um, I had already red shirted when I came from USC, and so. Now they would have granted me a, a medical red shirt and I would have been able to, you know, sit out that year and and play. But um, at that time, it didn't, that was kind of unheard of. Mm-hmm. So what are your memories, the biggest memories of that season, Gary? Like, was there any specific games or was there anything specific then? I mean, you like you said, you had a great, you guys went on a big roll. You won over 30 games. You, you know, it was a season full of highs. What, what stands out the most to you? The, the Illinois win. That's when we knew we were good. Uh-huh. That, that's you know we were down twenty two in the second half. I want to say we were down twenty two with about fifteen minutes left in the game, mm-hmm. and we came on the road at Illinois, and we were ranked number two in the nation at that time. We had just beaten Purdue. The Purdue win everyone thought was huge. You know we went on the road, we beat you know Gene Katie and 
mm-hmm. in Purdue, and they were a ranked team, but we were ranked in the top five at that point, maybe three or four, somewhere in there. And then the next game, um, I want to say North Carolina's ranked number one, and we're ranked number two. And we're playing Illinois at Illinois. And when we came back from that, that deficit and beat them, and it was a it was a turning point for me as well. Um, I had been struggling with the the broken hand, and um, and it was. And Tom had said, "Look, you know, if he, you know, when you can when you can hit your free throws again, that's when we're going to put you back in there and, and increase your minutes." So my minutes have been increasing all along mm-hmm. the way, but in that Illinois game, uh, I think I, in the second half, he saw that. Okay, when the game's on the line, I still got it, and I think I had 14 in that game or so, and um, um, maybe seven or eight rebounds or so. But it was—he saw my confidence come back, mm-hmm. and he knew, okay, she's back. And so after that game, he had put me back in the starting lineup. So it was, it was great for us as a team. That road trip was where we really came together, and and it was great for me personally uh, to you know win back the trust of the squad. Well, that's great. That's great information because, you know, as Hawkeye fans, we always kind of wonder what was going on, you know, what goes on behind the scenes. We didn't have an internet back then and uh, and different things. So we were relying on a lot of the media. So they weren't as privy maybe to the going on behind the scenes to hear things like that. Um, so I got another video here I want to share. This is the last one here and hopefully the quality is a little better here. But um, you guys have a successful season. You uh, go on and you play a sweet 16 game with Arkansas and Again, my cat wants to keep helping. I apologize to uh, everybody out there. So, uh, but anyway, uh, let me. Oh, Oklahoma. We play. We play oh, I'm sorry, Oklahoma, not Arkansas. Yeah. 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 Excuse me. I, my apologies. I had the and wrong team here. One of my high school teammates. So they, they, oh. they yeah, we, um, he was the starting guard, six, seven, two guard for Oklahoma, Dave Seeger and, and, um, He's the one that the following year, when Oklahoma goes to the finals, sets the record for knocking down seven threes in the finals. So you can just imagine how my high school team was. (laughs) (laughs) One of the most exciting moments, I think, in Hawkeye basketball history happened, and uh, we're going to play a little clip from it here. So I believe when we see that, I think on the bench, we see a young Gary Wright on the bench over there celebrating the moment. But take us behind that moment, Gary, on the bench, you know, the timeout that preceded it, the, uh, the, you know, I mean, what was the, what was the feeling and mood like uh, before that? Because again, it's one of the pinnacle moments in Iowa basketball history. Well, it was huge. It was, you know, I had played really good that game and fouled (laughs) out um, leading up to that moment. And I just felt like, oh man, I just let my team down, you know. Um, but there were three seniors. It was myself, Kevin, and Brad, and mm. and and we had um, we we just were running a, a flex five. I want to say it was, and when I looked at the clip right now, that's what it looked like. I was trying to remember the play, but um, and on that play, BJ slides over a little further to the wing. And Kevin slides over into the slot, and they were you know sinking it in because we were mm-hmm. you know getting it inside. We were hurting them inside. Uh, and they just sunk down there and like they forgot about Kevin and he didn't, you know, 
he's a baller. He didn't hesitate. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, how, you know, that was a, that was the abundance of riches on that team. Because how do you forget about Kevin Gamble? I mean, he goes on yeah. to have an illustrious NBA career, you know, and a great and, shooter. And Kevin, I remember for, that was a huge moment for Kevin, uh, huge. And he said to me afterwards, he said, you know, I, I've been dreaming of that moment all my life to to hit the, you know, the game-winning bucket in a really big and important game. And he was just – he he's pretty you know he's a pretty reserved guy he doesn't mm-hmm. he's not gushing with emotion sure <laughs> but sure I, I, but i remember in that moment he was you know that was like um and he was waiting for i mean he had played you know lights out all season and i don't think he was we had we just had so much talent that he was kind of like like you said how do you forget about that guy <laughs> but with he, you know, there was so much talent on that squad. You, you, you can't forget about Brad. He's seven one. You know, there. You know, he, 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 Roy Marble's getting all the you know uh, mm-hmm. tremendous press and deservedly so. Um, BJ's coming into his own and and you know starting to be recognized. Uh, but he he was kind of the odd guy out, you know, and he hadn't and he was buried on the bench during the raveling years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy sitting next to him buried on the bench was Brad, you know? And sure. so he hadn't had that moment. And that was, so that was, that's what, that's, that's what he was really expressing in that moment while he was gushing with emotion. And, you know, that, that was great. I was, I was really happy for him. Oh, and it was, an, yeah, it was such an incredible moment as a fan. It was just, uh, it was just such a high in relation because, you know, to, to have a team win like that, to earn a trip to the Elite Eight on that on that on that moment was just it was incredible. So and um, then finally, after that, then the game with UNLV. And, you know, we won't get too much into that because we don't want to explore uh, explore, you know, any anything oh. too, too much there. <laughs> a little bit of a down moment. But I mean, it was, you know, it was a great team. And I mean, it was within an eyelash of, you know, getting to that final four. I mean, what was yeah, what was the we feeling were, like during that game? And oh man, we were in control of that game. You know, mm-hmm. the, leading into the game, they were like, well, you know, will the Hawkeyes try to run with UNLV? You know, and we were laughing. Will UNLV try to run with us? Right. Is what we were thinking. Uh, you know, and they, we were, we were number ranked. Um, we were seated one and two. And so, mm-hmm. we, you know, we knew it was going to be a good game. I think what, what um, surprised us was it was as much of a game of, of runs as it was. We've mm-hmm. never had anybody make a run like that on us. So we start off with a great run. I want to say we went up by 15 or 20 points early on. And then they make a run and they come back and it's neck and neck. And then they make another run and they go ahead. And then we make a run and we come back. And it had an NBA flow to it. Um, and that was unfamiliar to probably as much to them as, as it was to us. In fact, I know it was uh, – I knew a lot of the guys on the team and I ended up playing uh, professionally with a couple of them. Mm-hmm. And we would, we would talk about that. You know, there was a lot of talent on the floor in that game. And, but just the, the ebb and flow of the game was, was unfamiliar. We, like I said, we've never had anybody mm-hmm. make a run like that on us against our press, against our, you know, our speed and quickness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they started hitting shots and it was, it was a great game. <laughs> yeah, I think it ended up being a one-point game at the end, one, one or two. Um, but and, and somebody's got to be on the downside of that, unfortunately. 
And sure. I, I always look at it like, you know, that, you know, had we won that game, you know, we were beating Indiana. That was, that was a given. We had spanked yeah. him twice. I wasn't worried about Tom, you know, being out coached by by Knight by Bobby Knight. I'm like, not when I've seen him out coached Bobby Knight twice. Mm. And we, we just weren't having it. We, you know, if you look at the talent on that Indiana team, um, not to dismiss any of that talent, but they were not as deep as we were. Mm-hmm. You know, none of them went on and had those types of careers. Not even Alfred. Um, we, we could match that. You know, and coaching wise, I felt we had the edge. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Bobby Knight is historically the more celebrated coach, but anybody who's there in the moment would know, you know, Dr. Davis was a better coach when it came to the X's and O's. <laughs> oh, definitely. We'll just take Dr. Davis. Dr. Tom is the better coach just in any realm. He was, he was a great class <laughs> a guy coach. and a great, oh, he's a great coach and a great guy. Yeah. He, he so. could put the game. And I give him a lot of credit. I mean, he comes into a situation where um, he has all this talent, and we were good. He could have he could have just you know left it alone, but he came in and he's he's like, no, these guys, these position, you know, he's right. You've been playing small forward. I'm moving you to center. Lowhouse, you've been sitting on the bench trying to be a center. I'm moving you to stretch four to the stretch four, which is a position I had never heard of, you know. And he told mm-hmm. he, he made me a rim runner. I'd never heard of that. He said, you just run from this rim to that rim as fast as you can. I guarantee you're going to beat everybody down the floor. We'll throw the ball to you and you dunk it. <laughs> then he said, uh, "Then he, same with Kevin Gamble, who was playing power forward. I'm moving you to the two guard, and I'm going to put Roy at the small forward. Mm-hmm. And we do, Huh? okay (laughs) and it just it's like one of those uh you know a great conductor comes in and he's listening to the orchestra and it's like Mm -hmm. you play this note you play that note you play that one you play that one you guys ready okay (laughs) bam and it's the damnedest chord you ever heard in your life you know (laughs) that's exactly what happened with tom oh That is awesome. So, so were you there, or at what point did they realize Brad Lohaus could shoot three pointers? Because I think he Georgia could, he tried could to, always shoot. You know, he didn't do it much but, in games, did he? Before Doctor Tom got there? Well, or? no, t- George wouldn't let him. Yeah, you know, George was, you know, George was very old school, and you know, Tom was evolving with the game. You know, mm-hmm. he, he he very much coached a pro, you know, a pro style of game. And he's like, and he said, you put players where they belong on the floor according to their DNA, not according to, well, he's my tallest guy, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm going to make him a center. And, and that was George's thinking. And so George was always trying to fit, you know, this round peg in a square hole. And it didn't, you know, obviously it didn't take. And so, you know, like you're soft, you need to be in there, you need to be under the basket, you need to be tough, get in the weight room, you know, he's the type of coach that would have taken Magic Johnson and posted him up, you know, as opposed to let that guy play where he plays, you know, Uh and, and Tom came in and said, well, he told me, he said, my job, because I asked him about all those changes. I was like, you know, really? (laughs) He He said, gee, he said, my job as a coach my only job as a coach is to put you on a position on the floor where you can have success. 
if mm-hmm. you can have success shooting the ball, that's where we're going to put you. If you can have success posting up, then I'm going to create those situations where you're you're going to you know be one on one in the post. So, I, you know, as he evaluated all of us and he was spot on with his evaluations, it's like I'm going to put you guys where you need to be so that you can complement each other and bring out your strengths. And we'll work on those weaknesses. Like I asked him, I said, "Do you think I need to shoot more from the outside? Because I could shoot um, by then, mm-hmm. you know. Um, <laughs> you know <laughs> by then, <laughs> by then, you know, I could shoot a little bit." Um, and I said, "Do you think I need to do more of that to help myself uh, in terms of the draft?" And he said, "No." And he said, "What you do, you do well enough that they'll they'll pay to either find out or to teach you." Mm-hmm. And he said, so just, you know, play to your strengths. And and that's what he did with, with all those guys. I mean, guys got an opportunity that, you know, oh, one of the things that a lot of people didn't know, BJ was getting ready to transfer. Had really? George State. BJ was transferring. He was out of there. He was like, this guy is not letting me play. Because Coach uh, Riley, he didn't like all that fancy dribbling and, you know, no-look pass and around the back. And this, you know, he, uh, Tom came in and says, hey, man, do that. That's who you are. <laughs> you know, be who you are. And uh, just nope. in, within the framework of what we do and take care of the ball, and, well, the rest is history. So no kidding, did BJ have a, a target school in mind then, or was he just he just I, had, had enough? I, I don't know that it was that far along, but uh-huh. he, he was to that point where he had had enough. Wow. I had never heard that before, so that's uh, yeah. I guess that's my uh, my big learning that's, moment of this interview. My, yeah, my, that's my little insider <laughs> information. There you go. <laughs> I, I appreciate that, Gary. I, 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 you know, that's that's great information. I was never aware of that. So, um, so let's go ahead and uh, go into the post basketball career. Then, Gary, you uh, you finish up at Iowa, and I remember they always talked about it when you were in college. You had a dream of flying one day. I remember that talking about the interviews back when you played at Iowa. What what ended up happening then after you got out of Iowa and where did you end up? So my, my dad was a flyer uh, in the Air Force and um, so he didn't much like it that I did my officer training with the Marine Corps. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you Air Force guys are pansies, man. Yeah, so I'm going to Quantico. So I did my officer training with the Marine Corps. I was commissioned in the Navy. Uh-huh. Um, uh, initially, um, like there's always a, well, not always, when, when there is a backlog for flight school, they send you other places or whatever. And I end up initially at the Naval Academy. Uh, so my first year and a half, I was a instructor at the Naval Academy and assistant basketball coach. Unfortunately, that was life in the AD after <laughs> David. <laughs> but he was, uh, David was still there at the Academy. So uh-huh. we became friends. And we worked out, you know, together and um, he was, he was, um, we graduated the same year. So we were literally there for a while together until he went off uh, with the CBs and mm-hmm. uh, he had to do his engineering thing. And um, a year and a half later, I finally, uh, I'm transferred down to Pensacola and I, I go through, you know, ground school, flight school, that whole shot. Mm-hmm. So um a, they let David out about a year in, or no, but I think he did like half of his, half of his commitment. My commitment was seven years and mm-hmm. I ended up doing three. Um, and I had never intended to get out of my commitment 
Uh, that was that was kind of a difference between us. Of course, he had you know San Antonio waiting on him. Sure, yeah, nobody really waiting on me. <laughs> and, and for the I mean, crowd at home, for the crowd at home that may not be aware, we're talking about David Robinson, future NBA Hall of Famer. Oh, yeah. But uh, but oh, yeah, go ahead and continue. Go ahead. No, that's fine. Go ahead and continue, Gary. Yeah. So um, after uh, after flight school or in, during flight school, I'm doing great through flight school. You know, it's funny because um, I think the guys that most of the guys that were in flight school, it's not at all like they you know portrayed in the movies. Yeah, it's a lot of nerds. <laughs> guys who graduated <laughs> from, you know, different schools and engineering and whatnot, and so uh -huh. they're partying for the first time. And you know, I'm coming from Iowa basketball. I've already been through all of that, so uh -huh. I'm locked into the books. You know, <laughs> and I finished, you know, number two in in, in my flight school class, uh -huh. and they give me um, the possibility to fly jets, which is the pipeline that I wanted but they were no longer using an aircraft in the training command that I fit. They did when I entered the program, um, but because of budget cuts, they went back to the A-4. They were using the old Vietnam mm -hmm. leftover A-4s, and that was, you know, I couldn't get in there with a shoehorn, you know. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they, they they put me in, and they looked at it. The flight surgeon was shaking his head. Mm -hmm. I was like, no. He said, mm. he said if, you, if you eject, you're going to lose both your legs. And so that, that was the end of that. And so at that point, uh, I could no longer pursue the pipeline that I wanted. I wanted to eventually uh, go through the jet pipeline and then apply for the astronaut pilot program. Uh, that was my that was my mm -hmm. ultimate, you know, goal. And once I couldn't pursue that anymore, they said you can have anything else. And you know, I never made a decision. I was like, well, it ain't much of a choice in the Navy here with. The, I could fly the P3 Orion, which is a, a huge, it'd be like driving a bus after, <laughs> you know, flying in the, you know, the smaller planes and, uh -huh. or helicopters. And I thought, okay, you know, the helo bud, but I never made a decision. And so they made it for me. They, they assigned me helicopters. And um, at that point I, I transitioned out. They let me out because Atlanta, the Atlanta Hawks had picked up, um, they invited me to their camp. Okay. They were looking for a backup to Dominique Wilkins, and and so oh. they were like, "Well, you know, there's not a lot of guys that are, you know, we're getting phone calls like that." So they, you know, they, they, and they were they were cool. You've you've given us half of your commitment, and so we're mm -hmm. we're good with that. And so it was yeah. a, you know, it's very nice. So you and Dominique, had, you know, in the same uh, building because you uh, what I from what I read, if this is correct, when you were in Pensacola, you were allowed to play. CBA yeah. while you were there, and you were the slam dunk champion of the uh, CBA that season, weren't you? Yeah, I guess uh, I guess I buried the headline. Um, <laughs> yeah, while I was in while I was in flight school, uh, there was a team in Pensacola, the CBA, uh, the Pensacola Tornadoes. I guess it's like the G League now, or you know, it'd be yeah. along those lines. But um, yeah, they they went all the way to the Secretary of the Navy uh, to get permission for me to play for them. Um, and so they said, as long as you, as long as it doesn't interfere with your flight training schedule or, you know, and it's funny, I read the wording of it. Um, I, I was looking at it maybe over Christmas. So we were moving some stuff around. I came across the actual letter and it said, as long as your basketball doesn't interfere with your flight training schedule. And for my CO, what that meant for him, we're going to arrange your flight schedule so that it doesn't interfere with your basketball because he's a, he a huge basketball guy 
Uh, so I thought that was funny. So what they did was they, um, I flew all my missions um, at like five or six in the morning so that I could be fresh for afternoon practice. And then the, whenever we had a game that night, I didn't have a, a morning flight. It was mm. essentially like having the day off. I had, you know, ground duty or, you know, paperwork sure. or something. So sure. they, they were real sweet about it. <laughs> <laughs> so did you win it on the old cartwheel dunk that you that we always heard about when you played? Yeah, yeah. Threw down the cartwheel dunk. Uh, I, I, I want to say that I let off with that and, you know, like, let's just, let's get, let's get to it right away, you know. Yeah, sure. You know, well, deal with this. <laughs> Now, now, if I remember correctly, you could actually do the cartwheel because you could hold the ball. Your hands were big enough. Couldn't you could actually do the cartwheel with the ball on one hand, right, and then come up? That's, that's correct. Wow, that's, correct. that's I, I, you know, I was, I was actually when we were doing our research, I was trying to look for video of that highlight, but we couldn't find it. But that'd be a fun one if we could ever come across that sometime. So yeah, yeah, I know uh, ESPN uh, was there because I, I had a clip of it, uh-huh. and it was the old ESPN Gatorade sled dunk you know thing from 89 but um yeah that's too bad too because i i had uh, graduated that from the cartwheel to a round off oh really <laughs> so I, yeah i'd do a round off and dunk it backwards and uh, you know well well gary this has been a lot of fun i could keep going on i mean i you know we i saw in your background you went on you uh martial arts i believe you've been involved with and uh you, you commit you know i think you instructed hand-to-hand combat in the military yes, and you were law enforcement for a while um five years five years um los angeles county sheriffs and it, it, after the sheriffs i went back to the university of iowa as uh on-campus uh recruiting coordinator and thomas the one who talked me into playing again actually so after after that um I spent a year and a half in Iowa and mm-hmm. I was about 31. And he said, you know, I was still working out with the squad and practicing every now and again. He said, you still got it. You know, you should mm-hmm. really think about playing. And I ended up um, taking his advice and going over and played till I was 38 in um, Spain and Germany and uh, Sweden. So uh, did the European thing and ended up um, getting an offer to to work for the royal family of Saudi Arabia. Um, so after that, I I went to Saudi Arabia. I lived in the royal palace. I was an exercise specialist and bodyguard for the royal family, and was on vacation in the states during 9/11. Okay. And never and got stuck over here. Uh, no no you know fly rule or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, couldn't uh, travel back to the Middle East and ended up stuck here and started working in education and that brings us to where we are today my gosh what we can't just gloss that over working for the royal family of saudi arabia what what was that experience like what what what, i what i mean what was was it like (laughs) living in the palace i mean what 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 were some of the biggest what were some of the what give us one memory that you go back or one story from that time that you, that you'd like to tell. I mean, there's gotta be Oof. something or a couple. I mean, that's, that's just uh, something I mean, we're not going to run into with another guest. It's, it's uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of Royals in Saudi Arabia, but mm-hmm. I worked for um, someone that was in succession for the throne. And so that okay. makes a huge difference. So, sure. uh, you know, he, he was the governor of Mecca and Medina, you know, their most religious, uh, their most important 
you know, religious uh, cities. And also uh, he was a governor of Riyadh, which is one of the most important economic cities. Mm-hmm. And so when the entourage rolled, I mean, we're, we're rolling thick, Uzis and body armor and, mm-hmm. you know, it's like rolling with the president. Um, memories, man, I mean, <laughs> they, I, I'll give you a good one. The first time we, I traveled with the entourage, and so they have this uh-huh. 747, and it, from the outside, it looks just like a regular 747. And as soon as we step on board, I'm like, this is like, unlike any 747 I've ever seen. It's gutted out, and they have, you know, it's it's kind of like um, like Air Force One, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and then when it's time to have dinner, you know, it's like, oh, you know, come, Prince Abdul Majid, he wants you to come and have dinner with the entourage. So we're all seated around on these huge cushions and pillows, and they're serving, you know, whatever you want. And I'd never seen that before. Like, what do you like? What do you feel like this evening? And they have a whole galley stocked and locked with anything you could imagine. So that, that's one memory. I'll give you a better one. Uh, I usually was part of the entourage of the princess. Um, and that sounds young to us, but she was, you know, they were mid-50s. They were, mm-hmm. you know, he was prince and she was princess. Um, I think we have a tendency to think that that's, you know, somewhat young. But no, they were, sure. you know, they were in the mid-50s. And um, she was throwing a dinner party and it would it was all women and she said it would be very inappropriate for you to be there and so you know, I, her servant comes to my quarters and she's apologizing profusely she said but the princess wants you to go out and you know have a nice dinner and uh-huh. i was like no big deal you know uh, I, sure. i'm uncomfortable a lot of times I, i've been to you know i go down to eat with her entourage and you know, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt or something. And she's like, oh, let me introduce you to the minister from England, which actually happened once. (laughs) Some ambassador, they're all all, like, no, let me go change. And they're like, no, no, it's totally cool. It's totally cool. I was like, oh, but so she's, so this girl is like telling me like, here, this is from the princess. I'm like, oh no, she didn't have it, you know. Mm. And I I knew it was an envelope of money. She's like, the princess wants you to go out and have a nice dinner, da, da, da. And um, and she says, I was like, no, oh, she pays me well enough. I'm good. And she said, no, I can't return with this envelope. You have to take it or I will be in trouble. It was like that. So, I, and I, I understood that. So uh-huh. it's, it's pretty intense there. So I take the envelope and I don't pay much attention to it. And uh, the other, uh, there's a, a friend of mine who also is part of the entourage. And he said, hey, you get one of those envelopes? I was like, yeah. He said, well, what are we doing, man? You know, I was like, whatever, we'll go whatever, you know, Fuddruckers and mm-hmm. whatever, some burger place. So, um, and so I go to grab, you know, a couple of dollars out of there and I open the envelope and I'm like, oh, there's about $3,000 in there. And that's when I realized they have no idea of the value of money. Sure. She gave me $3,000 to go out and get a hamburger. <laughs> you know, it's like, are you kidding me? And I mean, she really, they really just have mm. no, you know. Sure. I think, I think that um, Prince Abdul Majid at that time, and this is, this is around 2000 and, you know, 2000, 2001, mm. he was making about $420,000 a day. Wow. That's like, I, 
I try to explain to people how much money and wealth they you know that that they're generating with that oil and it's like it's it's beyond comprehension it, it, totally beyond comprehension mm. yeah so there's a story <laughs> wow well i tell you what i from a guy that like myself that uh, had a hard time making sure that i uh, put my shirt on correctly this morning you've had, you've led quite the life gary right I, it's a, it's been a pleasure talking Thanks. to you and i really enjoyed it if i uh, if i run this too much longer i'm afraid adam won't let me have the car keys again so uh, <laughs> and we better let you get back to your family so gary thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and uh, telling us where you're at and reliving some great hawkeye memories and we always All end right. this with the go hawks yeah, go Hawks. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Gary. Okay, bye-bye. And that was... Um,